Well, this morning uh, we are coming to the book of Jonah. It's a series that we've been in throughout the summer. And uh, this is the, the Sunday that kind of culminates it. It brings it together. And so I'm going to do a brief recap at the, at the front end. So don't worry if you haven't been here all summer and you're saying, wait, we're finishing the book of Jonah? I thought, you know, how, how does this all tie together? You're going to see really quick how, you know, in, in just God's words to Jonah, how he communicates his, his heart. And we've been looking at Jonah through this, these two questions, why me and why them? Really, that was what Jonah wanted to know. It's like, why are you asking me to go to these people who I do not care if you fry them or not? Like, you can judge them hard. Like, God, just come at them and, and just judge them as hard as you want to, and I would be fine with that. And so Jonah is feeling this tension because God is coming to him and saying, I have a message for you to take to these people that you don't like and that have oppressed the uh, people of Israel and have oppressed other nations, and I want you to bring this message. And so Jonah, we've seen just this resistance. So we, we started out week one with this idea of prophetic voice. We said, we speak the gospel. We made the connection. We speak the gospel. When we, when we proclaim God's word, when we talk about the things that Jesus does in our life, we proclaim a gospel which is liberating and it's prophetic. It cuts against the culture and it is a message, it's a sound that is different than what people hear in the culture around them. And so our voice should sound different. It should sound more like the kingdom of God than it does the kingdoms of this world. And so prophetic voice, it's important that we live and we speak out of that. Week two, we talked about the call and that we're all called. We all have a calling. It's not just a clergy and laity type of thing or the, the ones who are called are pastors and missionaries and then there's everybody else. We're all called. We're first called to Christ and we're called to live out our life in Christ and we're called to the people in our life that, that God puts around us. So we all have a call. And then week three, the, the, the uh, tension that we live with is that there are times where, like Jonah, we run from our call. We, God asks us to, to love a certain people, or He asks us to, to speak out a message of, of hope or gospel towards somebody, or, or even, as it was with Jonah, a message of warning to, to people. But at times we run from that, but there's always a way back. Week four, um, we had Joy Schmidt come and speak to us about Jonah and how his sin was the heaviest thing on the boat. When, when Jonah ran and he got on this boat, it didn't just affect him, it affected everybody on the boat. And, and they were throwing stuff off the ship just trying to stay afloat, but what they didn't realize is that until Jonah got off that, off that boat, they were going to sink. It was his sin that was weighing him down the most. And so God doesn't abandon us, even when other people's things and, and their sin and their issues affect us, that doesn't mean the course of our life is irreparably changed to whatever damage may have been done by that individual. There's a way to, to experience healing and a way back for God to uh, fulfill His purposes. Week 5, uh, we looked at Jonah chapter 2 where he writes a song from within the belly of the fish. And he recognizes, listen, I can run, but I can't hide from God. <laughs> so he makes this declaration after he writes this amazing song about who God is. He says, listen, I will fulfill that which I have vowed. He finally gives in and just says, I may not like it, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow through with it. And so obedience means, uh, doesn't always mean that we like it, but it does mean that we can follow through and, and, and do it. Week six, we said if we want to partner with God, we can't follow in Jonah's footsteps with 
deep national pride or things like that he was consumed with that kept him from wanting to deliver that message. Like we have to understand first our citizenship is heaven, second our citizenship is here on this earth. And that was one of the things that held back Jonah from delivering that message is, is that he said, I, I don't like these people. I don't like what they've done to me or specifically to our nation. I don't like the type of people they are. And so he was holding back from wanting to deliver that message. And so if we want to partner with God, we're, we're called to our citizenship in heaven and obeying God above all else. We, we obey laws, absolutely. We, we make sure that we follow the laws of the land. But when it comes down to it, our first and our primary citizenship is in heaven. And then last week, Derek Loafing led us in scriptures, just a uh, wonderful job, helping us to understand forgiveness and how, it's, it, how it can deeply affect and influence our relationship with Christ. And he brought up the passage that if we don't forgive others, then we ourselves can't be recipients of God's forgiveness. That there's a direct relationship between our ability to forgive and God's ability to forgive us. And that's, that's so difficult. But he did say that it it's also can be a process. It's not something that we just have to say, they're forgiven and I don't ever have to deal with that again. No, we can, we can release the debt or the revenge that we want to take out against that individual or those people. And it can be then a process by will we continually release that. It may be a process over a week or a month or even over years where that gets worked out of our heart of wanting deep revenge and we want satisfaction of judgment against them. So forgiveness, it can happen instantly, but it can also be a statement, an action that we take, and then over time, we're continually releasing that. Well, here we are, week eight, the final chapter of the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter four. And unfortunately... (laughs) We're not going to learn a lot from Jonah's example. (laughs) Jonah's in the same place he was at when we opened the book in chapter 1. He's still angry at God. His heart, yes, he's followed him. He's he's proclaimed, he's made the uh, declaration to Nineveh that they're they're going to be judged. And so he's, half-heartedly at least, he's, he's, he's followed through with what God wanted him to do. But he hasn't changed in his heart. He was upset with God and he ran from the call. And in chapter 4, as Derek mentioned last week, he uses this word a couple times. We'll see it come up. He's exceedingly angry. He's exceedingly disappointed with God's actions to show mercy and compassion instead of judgment. So the, the reality for us is that we're not really going to learn a positive example from Jonah. The book of Jonah is written so that we learn something from God. We learn something about who God is. And in that reflection of Jonah's life, that we hold it up as a mirror and we say, do I see myself in Jonah's life? Do I see myself in Jonah's actions towards God? It's a hard reality. And so I'm going to ask us as we go to prayer that we kind of take a deep breath and we just say, God, I want you to speak to me out of this. Because the, the, the reality, the hard reality I'm talking about is that God isn't too concerned about disappointing us. And that's hard. We, in the sense of our expectations, we have certain expectations sometimes of God. We want you to do this, God. We, we, you can come through in this way. And that was Jonah. He had expectations of the way that God would behave to the Ninevites. 
And when it came down to it, it's not that God didn't care about Jonah. Absolutely. That's why you have the book of Jonah. He's talking about how he's trying to work with Jonah through this. So God absolutely cares about us. What matters to us matters to him. But he doesn't, he's not as concerned about disappointing our expectations of him as much as he is concerned about us getting ourselves aligned and on board with what his heart is and what his purposes are and what his passion is and the way that he cares about a matter, what, what matters most to him. So he cares about us, but he's okay with us saying, God, I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> he can handle that because in the end, what he's trying to do is get us to the point where we can say, God, I may be disappointed because of my expectations, but you didn't let me down. We sing that song, you've never let me down. <laughs> Sometimes I think we sing it kind of like in the back of our mind, we're thinking, but you have. <laughs> you've never let me down, you've never, but we're thinking, but you have. I had expectations of you to do something and you didn't meet that. And God somehow is okay with working with that tension of saying, I, I will let you down in the ways that you expect me to work, but I'll never let you down in the sense I'll always be true to myself. And that's what we see here in Jonah chapter 4 as we come to it. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us out of this recording of Jonah's life, his prophetic word, his actions towards you. We thank you that the book of Jonah is in the scriptures for us to, to both learn from and to see ourselves in and, and to know more about who you are. So we pray that as we open up your word, as we spend time reading from the book of Jonah this morning and, and a couple other passages, pray that you would just help us to let down our defenses. Um, Lord, you, you're safe in the sense that we know we can trust you because you're always true, you're always faithful, you're always loving and compassionate towards us. But it's also scary for us, God, because you work in ways in the deep places of our heart where others don't see us. Like we can hide our words, but we can't hide our heart from you. We can say things in our mind that we would never say out loud, but you even hear those thoughts. And so, Lord, we, we can sometimes put up our defenses against you as much as we do other people. But I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us to put those down and and help us to hear from you, Holy Spirit, as you make the Scriptures come alive to us and in us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's a long passage of Scripture. It'll be up on the screen. I'm reading from the um, English Standard Version. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, and then chapter 4, all of chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. So I want us to get the whole narrative of this interaction between God and Jonah. And, and parenthetically, this, this, is, this is the interesting part, is like we would say, most of the time when we look in Scripture, the prophet, it's about the people that he's speaking to. So when God gives a message to the prophet, the whole of the message of the prophet is about the people, usually Israel, that the prophet is speaking to. In the book of Jonah, it's really not that much about the Ninevites or the Assyrians, there's just a short little portion where Jonah actually delivers the prophecy and then their action, and then it goes back to Jonah, right back to Jonah and God's interaction with him. So this is the, the, 
focal point of what God's getting at is his interaction with his prophet and the way that he relates to him and God relates to other people. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw what they did, this is the Ninevites, remember last week they responded to Jonah's simple message of judgment's coming in 40 days. So they throw on sackcloth and ashes on themselves, on their animals, they cry out to God for mercy, and so that's kind of where they're at. They, They respond wholeheartedly to Jonah's prophetic word and they repent. So it says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. (laughs) And he was angry. (laughs) This this statement, this idea about he was angry, another way of saying it is like he felt it was exceedingly evil to him. Like God had done something really wrong in in relenting, that God had performed an evil against Jonah. Jonah was exceedingly um, displeased exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. It's kind of like a little shelter, a little slanty shelter just to provide some covering. He sat under it, uh, in it in the shade until he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The end. (laughs) Kind of abrupt. Ends with God presenting a question to Jonah. We don't ever see a change in Jonah. He doesn't get to reply in all of this. It just simply says, this is the interaction between God and Jonah and then the end. That's it. A question pointed at Jonah with no response. In truth, it's left hanging in the air because it's not so much whether Jonah answers the question to God, but the question that God is asking you and I. The question that God raises through the life of Jonah, and he leaves it hanging at the very end to ask that question, that same question of all of us. So that it would echo down through generation to generation for thousands of years. So that every reader in the book of Jonah would be confronted with that 
question, and here it is. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Jonah, in some ways, just holds up a mirror to us. And it asks us, how do we handle God's character and His nature as it relates to other people, and specifically as it relates to people who we feel deserve judgment, who deserve punishment, who have acted wrongly towards us or others? How do we feel like God should behave towards them? And then it holds up a mirror to us and says, now, Look at yourself in light of Jonah, and what's your response? What would your response be? What is it the same as Jonah's, or is it different than Jonah's? So, one of the first things I want us to see is we reveal our heart in the justice we demand of others who don't owe us personally. That's a weighty question, isn't it? Jonah, as we look and we hold up this mirror, we're seeing... In our own heart, what type of justice do we demand of others who don't owe us personally? What did the Ninevites owe Jonah? What did they specifically do to Jonah? We're hard-pressed. There's nothing in the Scriptures except that they were just an oppressive people. They were a terrible people. They were violent, and they oppressed so many different nations. And so, certainly Israel was one of those nations that felt the heavy hand of the Ninevites. And so, Jonah, he had such a strong opinion about how God should deal with them, even though we don't see where Jonah had been directly wronged by them. Had Israel, yes. Had someone Jonah knew been harmed, possibly. But as as Derek told us last week, God knew every instance of oppression that the Ninevites, that the Assyrians had performed, who who had Uh, the people the Ninevites had oppressed. God had record of every wrong they had ever committed, and yet God was willing to forgive them. Jonah knew what they had done to Israel, and that's what he was specifically passionate about, was this, this particular slice, this particular piece of their violence and their behaviors against his home country. So he wasn't even aware of all the things they had done to all these other people and nations, but God was fully aware. And God was willing to extend mercy. Jonah, who would have a difficult time identifying how he was directly wronged, couldn't wait for judgment. Likewise, we often have a judgment. A verdict that should be carried out even when there's not a debt directly due to us. We take on others' offenses. We make them our own. We stack up one against the other. We accumulate all the reasons that this person or people or nation or whoever it is should pay this debt. We gather this person's view and what happened to them. We gather this person's view. We take that and we become the accumulator of all debt and wrongs. And then we make the judgment of what should happen because of their offenses. We we tell God, these are all the reasons, even though it wasn't to me directly, these are all the reasons this person should face extreme judgment, the worst type of judgment. They should be put to death even because they deserve it. I know this is difficult. I know this is difficult because it hits to all of our hearts. That's why it's in the book. God knows it addresses every one of our hearts. 
But let me bring up a couple cautions that come to us out of Romans is one of them, and then Matthew another one. This one out of Romans 2, 1 through 5. I'll read it. I don't have the slide up there, but let me read it. It says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume upon the riches and his kindness and his forbearance and patience, not knowing that it's God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Oh, (laughs) weighty words. Such weight to those words where the Apostle Paul speaking to the Romans, he's saying, listen, you are not exempt from the human condition of sin. You who do the same things, maybe not to the same measure, but are guilty of similar things, be careful. Be careful what judgments you pronounce on others. Because when God, the righteous judge, comes, He will hold you into account for the very things that you are willing to judge others for. Jesus said it much more concise in Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. We have this on the screen. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Such strong caution, such strong warnings should come to us. I know when I read these, I just want to hold my tongue. I want to be very careful about what I say should happen to somebody, what actions God should take against someone, what their life should hold. Now, let me differentiate between judging and discerning or bringing correction to one's life, because this passage in particular gets thrown up a lot, where if you talk about something somebody is doing, so let's say a a brother or sister in Christ is is living out a way that is in contrast or in, in conflict with Scripture. So they're living out a life that doesn't match their spoken life, professed faith in Christ. We're admonished in Scripture to encourage one another, to caution one another, hey, watch your step in this. Be careful that you're not going down a path that's going to pull you away from Christ. Be careful that you're not allowing a, a, a an expression, something that you're doing to become a life-controlling habit that's going to pull you out of fellowship with the body of Christ and with God Himself. So, we sometimes label that as judging. Don't judge me. Don't, don't judge me for doing this, you know, uh, listening to that music or uh, doing this type of lifestyle. And we have to be careful. This is not the context for which Jesus is speaking about judgment. He's speaking about a pronouncement on somebody's life of the value of their life or of what they've done, of whether or not they deserve, deserve judgment and what kind of judgment. So when we encourage somebody to turn or repent from an action that is pulling them away from fellowship with God, that's not judgment that's encouraged in Scripture, that's giving instruction, that's admonishing them to come in step with the Spirit so they don't adversely affect or harm their relationship with God. What would be judgment is we would say, because you're doing something that is contrary to Scripture, you're going to hell. 
We don't have the ability to determine the destination of one's life. We simply have the, deter- the ability to encourage one person to draw closer to God and, and move away from something that might lead them away from Christ. And so the judgment that Jesus speaks of, he's saying, be careful that you don't pronounce over somebody's life their worth and what their destination, their eternal destination should be. Because you don't have that within your own capacity. We have an Old Testament approach that we often restate God gave his people to operate by. An eye for an eye. <laughs> so what's done to you, you can do back to the other person. But, but in our setting, what we get out of context is that God was putting a limit on how far they should take retribution. He wasn't giving the permission to do back to the other person, or you should do it, or you have to do it. He's saying, listen, when you take back retribution, you can't exceed this because you're exceeding the limits of what was done to you. We all have that friend or family member who, you know, you go by and you just tap them on the back of the head and they come at you full force, put you in a headlock, and they put a noogie on you so strong that you just have a bald spot. That's what happened to me. I had, I had brothers. I had brothers like this. Being the youngest of four kids, you know, I would do something, usually kicking my brothers in the shins with my cowboy boots, and they would come at me and just, you know, pummel me or do something over the top to pay me back, right? Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, my wife, Jerry, says that her dad, Pastor Mark, sometimes does this. If, if you throw a snowball at Pastor Mark or do something, watch out. Watch, I'm just warning you. You throw one fiber coming back at you, right? <laughs> he knows how to exact justice. No, but from a serious point, that's the limit. That's why God, he knows the human condition. He knows the human heart. And he says, listen, here's your limit. An eye, you get an eye. You don't get to take out their whole family. If you lose a cattle, you get a cattle back in return. You don't get their whole livestock. You don't get to to, uh, drive them into the ground so their existence is miserable for the rest of their life. God understands the human heart. And so he put limits on what type of justice or revenge could be exacted upon the person whom committed a sin against another person. What we've done is, unfortunately, over time, we've said, you do something to me, I'm doing it back to you. We take it as an automatic. You do something to me, you deserve to get the punishment, the full measure of what I can get back out of you. That is not the heart of God, and that is not the gospel. You cannot I would challenge any of you, show me where God is looking for retribution for what was done to him because we wouldn't exist. There's not a one of us. It would be scorched earth all the way through. God even explains it to Jonah, and that's why Jonah's upset with him. (laughs) Jonah says, here's my complaint. You're merciful. I knew this would happen. I knew you would show mercy and relent and you would forgive him. Ah, God. Your character, you are so gracious and compassionate with people. Oh, I hate that. This is, isn't this great? I mean, so God is such a a humorous God. He gives us a story just embedded with this type of humor and we laugh at Jonah and then we turn the mirror on ourselves and we go, oh, is this in my heart? Do I want to 
automatically exact revenge or a sense of justice that exceeds God's sense of justice? God says, if you take the responsibility to make sure someone else gets his or her full due, be careful because that's coming back to you. How many times have you heard of an individual, I've, I've seen this in news reports, an individual being willing to forgive a wrong that was done, but the outside voices of those not even directly affected. All you have to do is look at a comment section of a news report or on social media. And one after the other, the comments of people who aren't directly affected, they should be hung, they should be shot. I'm, I'm not making this up. All these things that people want done to this individual for something that they weren't even directly involved with. They want this sense of justice needs to happen to this individual. Jesus, in his own words, says, be careful. Please hold your tongue and be careful because the measure which you think justice should be exacted on somebody, that same measuring point is going to be used against you. So please be careful. So here's a question. When should we pursue justice that we're not directly affected by? Is there a room for us to desire justice that doesn't directly relate to us? Is there a way that we should seek justice? And absolutely, in Scripture, it says when violence or harm or oppression is being done to someone or some people who have no way to get out from underneath it. So God says, look out for the underdog. Be, step in and seek justice for those who have no way of exacting justice or finding justice for themselves. The widow, the orphan, the poor, the weak, the abused, the exploited. God will stand with you when you stand with them to make sure they get out from the oppression. They can get out from underneath the, the pain that they've been experiencing. Then that's a form of justice that God invites us to step into and, and act on their behalf in a way to find justice for them, which is to be liberated from any type of oppression or abuse that they've been experiencing. So God will, will stand with you. But there's not a room, there's not really a, spy, a spot. If the system is working for so, someone, if, if justice is being worked out, then the encouragement is don't pile on. There's no need for you to jump on and say, yeah, and I think this should happen and this should happen. He says, let, let it work itself out. Obey the laws of the land. Follow the laws of the land. There's things that will happen to an individual based on what's supposed to happen. You don't have to pile on to it. In Jonah's situation, years of Assyrian brutality had brought him to a point of anger and judgment against this people. And God highlights this sense of out of balance that, uh, judgment that Jonah had. <laughs> I think it's funny. He says, Jonah's reasons, he was exceedingly angry at God for showing mercy but that he's exceedingly happy for a plant. <laughs> it's, this, it's a sense of weight. It's like, you, you, Jonah, you're all over the board with your emotions and your feelings of what's right and wrong. God, I'm so mad at you that you didn't kill these hundred some odd thousand people and just desolate that land. I'm so happy about this plant that's over me. This sense, I didn't. And then he gets angry that it's, again, that it's taken out. He's just saying there's just this sense of imbalance that we have within us. It's, it's an entitlement that Jonah had about justice that really wasn't his to take on. So let me bring up three questions about seeking justice. Kind of a filter, maybe you can run some of these things through. What specific wrong was done 
to me. Okay, what specific wrong was done to me? So let's say this issue went to a court. Would I be listed as a plaintiff? Like, would I be in there? Or am I the person on the outside who is trying to insert myself into the situation? So if I'm seeking justice, would I, is something done to me? So if my answer is no, I should maybe take a step back and say, let me be careful about pronouncing what should happen in this situation. If something was done to me, then I can step in and say, how do I deal with justice in this situation? How do I find out how justice should happen? The second one is, how am I restored by judgment? If I get what I want, what do I get? How am I restored by the judgment that would be placed upon this individual? Again, if it's, I'm not involved, then I'm not going to get anything out of it. Just a sense of satisfaction that that person was punished, and I feel good about that. But directly, I'm not receiving any benefit out of it directly. So if that's the case, then again, I should step back and reserve my judgment for what should happen in a situation. But if I'm the person wronged, then I, again, have to deal with how should this situation be resolved And then the third question is, am I capable of forgiving the wrong? So if something did happen to me and I'm directly affected, am I capable of forgiving the wrong? Justice should come out of the sense of right and wrong and not revenge. Do I, does that mean that, so here's what I hear kind of stirring. Does that mean nobody should ever be penalized for anything they ever do? We should just forgive it all, right? There shouldn't be any sense of real justice. No, no, no. That's not what we're saying. We're just saying as much as it belongs to you, how are you going to handle justice? Are you going to allow it to be worked out through the laws that exist and that person will face punishment? Or are you going to, are you capable of forgiving the individual and allowing what justice needs to happen? Sometimes it's not issue of courts, but sometimes it's an issue of boundaries. Does that mean they get to wreak havoc in your life or cause pain again? Absolutely not. It means that on the basis of that relationship, you don't have to cast judgment and condemn them. You can just simply say, because of what you've done, this is a direct result in our relationship. Trust has been broken. And so we're not going to have the same type of relationship. So that can be affected. Or you may be able to forgive them in a way and relationship is restored because that forgiveness is extended and they then repent and they act in a different way than they have in the past. Okay, so just, I know that's not all encompassing, but just a couple questions you can ask yourself. Should I step into this and have a judgment for the person, an idea of what should happen to them? Or am I more on the fringe like Jonah was and should I step back and acknowledge God really has an issue in this. And so I should let surrender this to God and what he wants to do in this situation. And then we come to the last thing that I want to highlight is God reveals his heart by withholding punishment and offering mercy. And herein, right, herein lies Jonah's issue. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were gracious and compassionate. And therefore, I didn't want to relinquish. I didn't want to turn it over to you because I know how you deal with me. You show me mercy. You show me compassion. 
In fact, the very words that Jonah's using to describe God, that's actually how God describes himself in the book of Exodus. Jonah's not making this up. He's actually quoting the way that God describes himself back in Exodus. A loving, compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. You know, these are descriptors that God says, this is who I am. So that his people would understand how he operates and, and the type of God he is. So he described himself in that way. And now Jonah's trying to use it as an insult. <laughs> thrown it back in his face. I knew you were merciful. God reveals his heart by withholding punishment. Romans 2.4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness or forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Interesting, isn't it? That it's God's mercy and kindness. The idea that you and I can be forgiven is what leads us to change and repent in the first place. If all we knew about our relationship with Jesus Christ is that our Father judged us for everything, why turn? Why make a change? Why desire to be more like Christ? Because we're going to be judged for it all anyways. So the Scripture says that it's God's compassion, His mercy, His kindness that leads us to repentance. It leads us to confession. The only reason we would say, I'm willing to confess something is that there's this hope, this idea, this promise that forgiveness is available to me from God. It's somewhat ironic then that we feel like it's judgment that will lead somebody to change. It's judgment that's going to get them to repent or confess. Scripture says it's God's mercy, His kindness that draws us to the point where we're willing to say, Lord, I have failed you in ways for the fifth time, for the seventh time. Here I am confessing the same action that I told you I was going to change three years ago. Why would we do that except that we know he's a gracious and compassionate God, willing to forgive, abounding in mercy? And so we see in Jonah... (laughs) This response, I know this about you and I don't like it about you. And God holds up this reflection to him and he says, why are you so angry? (laughs) Does it suit you well? Are you getting what you want out of your anger? He doesn't let Jonah answer, at least in the book of Jonah, we don't see it. But the question would come back up to us this morning. In Christ, God has forgiven us. As far as the east is from the west, he has caused us to be a people. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, he has allowed you to have a heart that is washed clean. He doesn't count your offenses, your, the ways that you've violated Scripture, the way that you've spoken lies of, and, and confessed something and asked for forgiveness and then turned around and did the same thing a day or two days or a week later. He, he says, just bring it to me. My heart is to forgive. My heart is to show compassion and mercy. And inherent in his behavior towards us is his question, so what will you do? Are you compassionate? Are you slow to anger, abounding in mercy? Or are you holding on, wanting revenge? Wanting exacted revenge out of people for things they've said or done to you, or maybe it wasn't even to you, maybe to people 
that you care about or a situation that you've read about, and you said, I'm angry, God, and they deserve punishment. God says, well, they will. Everybody, every one of us will stand before Christ, it says, and he will make a judgment about our guilt or innocence. And because of Christ, we can be found blameless and innocent. But if we hold on to wrongs, if we want judgment and justice for us, then we'll stand before Christ and he will say, you would require judgment upon this individual. So now how should I judge your actions? How should I judge you in this? Let me finish with this. (laughs) My mom uh, has passed away a few years ago and... uh, I remember towards the end of her life, we didn't know we were getting there when she passed away. It was fairly, fairly sudden. But I remember we would, Jerry and I, my wife and I would go over, have conversations with her. She was living close, close to us. And, and boy, God was really, after years of kind of not really walking through discipleship with Christ, she had finally fully committed her life with Christ. She had made decisions at different points, but finally she was at this point where just surrendering to God and and so you could just tell. I mean, when we went over there, we, she would raise up. It's like we wouldn't see her for a day or two, and then we'd show up, and she'd have a very deep question. <laughs> and we'd say, wow, God, because she lived alone. We could tell God was really just speaking to her. The Holy Spirit was working on her heart and helping her process things about her life and the life of others. And I remember one day we went in, and, and uh, she, she was really struggling with forgiveness. Forgiveness was the issue at hand. And uh, she said, she said, you know, I'm having a really difficult time forgiving. And you could, it was gripping her heart. She goes, there's certain people I just, I cannot let go of it. And I think it was Jerry who asked her, said, what's, what's holding you up? What's making it difficult to forgive? And she said, because I know God will forgive them. So I'm the only person that's going to hold them to an account for what it is that they did wrong to me. Because God will forgive them, so I'm the only person who knows what they did and can hold them to an account for it. And so Jerry walked her through this idea of how is your justice going to bring peace for you? And if God can forgive them, and he's the one that was wronged more than any of us, then shouldn't we also reach that point of being able to say, if God can forgive me and forgive others, then I certainly have no right to hold it against them. And she was really struggling and she was working through it. I wouldn't say she resolved it all that day. As you know, discipleship can be a process, as Derek outlined, especially forgiveness. But it was so encouraging to my heart that she had finally opened that up and began wrestling with that. How do I let this stuff go? Some of you this morning me telling that story, you're like, yep, that's me. I've got two or three people in my life that I've just held on because nobody knows this about them and our relationship. And if I let it go, how is justice going to be served? The answer to that is that God knows and God sees it. If God has forgiven us, then we can forgive others. Would you join me in standing? And as you do, we're going to take a moment to reply, respond, 
I believe that every Sunday when we gather together, I believe in the work of the Holy Spirit that He makes His Word come alive in us. And so there are different areas that maybe He's been speaking to you about. Uh, Maybe it's a situation where you have just joined in on judging somebody else. You've made declarations about their life. Things like, they're absolutely worthless. They deserve to die. They have absolutely no value. They contribute nothing. I mean, these types of statements, pronouncements about people's lives, that as you were listening to the Scripture this morning, you just felt yourself this caution in your heart of God just saying, my son, my daughter, please be careful. Be careful about the way that you pronounce a judgment over somebody's life of their value and what you think should happen to them. But instead, would you reflect the heart of God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Like I said before, that doesn't mean that you just say, oh, everything's okay. It didn't didn't happen. No, you acknowledge this person wronged you in some way. But can I release that debt of revenge or this debt that they owe me and bring forgiveness? Now, there still may be, like I said before, repercussions because of their life. They may have to face the law if they broke the law in the process. Or they may have to face broken relationships because of their actions. But it may be that in your forgiveness, you can actually bring restoration as Jonah's role was supposed to be, help restore the people of Nineveh and Assyria back to God. And so, Lord, as we come before you, there's a lot here. God, there's humor But there's also the reality of our sense of justice that gets out of balance. We can be exceedingly angry about things that really we don't have a say in it one way or the other. And we can be exceedingly happy over trivial things and then we can come in really out of balance, Lord. And you know this about us. So thank you for being gentle with us. Thank you for dealing with heavy issues in ways that are lighthearted so that we can let our defenses down and say, Lord, do I hold judgment against others? Lord, am I holding on or am I quick to jump in and pile on and proclaim, uh, make proclamations about people's worth in life? God, help me. God, help us to be slow to speak, slow to anger. And look for a way to ask the question, can I forgive this? Is there a way forward for me to release the debt that is owed to me? The judgment that I would rightfully have against somebody, is there a way for me to release that? Lord, as we talk about discipleship, is there a way for us to move forward and be more like you, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in mercy? Lord, we believe that that's true because that's why we're reading about this. That's why it's throughout Scripture of who you are and you want us to be more like you. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to work in our lives to help us not to reflect Jonah, but to reflect you. That when we'd look in the mirror, we wouldn't see an embittered, angry person who who wants judgment on others, but Lord, we would see your heart in the mirror, a compassionate person, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, 
willing to forgive. That it would be our kindness that would help others move towards repentance and change. Father, thank you for working in our lives. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you to continue to work as we move forward in our response to you. Amen.